Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Good afternoon and welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. I am your host as always, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Always happy to be here in the clinic. Always happy to be here talking about our health, our spiritual health, our mental health, and our physical health, of course. You know, as Catholics, one of the things that we uh, sometimes don't think about uh, is miracles. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we think about miracles all the time. You're going to say, Dr. Sandoval, what are you talking about? We think about miracles all the time. You know, we're in the month of October. We just celebrated October 13th. Everybody's thinking about the miracle of the sun from Fatima from 1917. Who who can't remember that? Um, there's all these different things that as Catholics, of course, we think about miracles. We think about miracles all the time. But I think one of the things that we don't always think about or don't focus on are the everyday miracles that are always happening because we're waiting for miracles to be a big sign, but we forget that there's a miracle happening all the time, every day, all day. And we're going to talk about that right after we start with our prayer. Let's start with the Angelus here at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of the angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> well, folks, as Catholics, we definitely rely on our supernatural faith to really understand the world around us, to understand what it means to be Catholic, and to really understand our communication with God. Because we have to ask ourselves, when it comes to miracles, we're always looking for something big. I started thinking about this because we are in the month of the Rosary. We are in the month of October. We did just celebrate October 13th uh, last week, and always makes me think of the miracle of the sun at Fatima, and why it is that after such a big miracle, the whole world hasn't converted. Why it is that after I hear about such a big miracle, it it's not like enough for me to say, gosh, you know, I'm going to reform my whole life. I mean, I do, obviously, every time you hear about it or we get inspired, but our human nature is such that it doesn't stay with us all the time. We think about it, we know about it, and then we go about our everyday lives, and we tend to forget about these big communications that heaven has with us. I think one of the challenges, though, is that we're always waiting for a big communication, or we're always saying, God, please make this miracle happen for me. 
But one of the things I started thinking about with that was I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if that feeling just stayed? If I could just feel that all the time, it would help, you know, any anybody who's suffering from I was thinking about what would I tell my patients, anybody who's suffering from depressions or anxieties or everyday worries. <clears throat> why not think about these wonderful miracles and realize that God is working in our lives and that he is there? I think the problem and the challenge is that we wait for those miracles to stop and realize that God is working in our lives. Sometimes everything else becomes mundane, but the everyday miracles that are happening, we can't forget about it. I think that if we start thinking about that, if we start thinking about what's going on every day, I think it's gonna be easier to realize God is never gone. It's just a matter of, am I willing to stop and focus on God and not make my problems so overwhelming or not care so much about my problems or realize that God is working in my life and he knows what my problems are and he's going to take care of them for me. So, or at least help me along as I go through the day. But the main thing that I was thinking about is, well, what kind of miracles can I think about? What kind of miracles are happening every day in my life? Hmm. We tend to forget that there's just the miracle of life itself. The fact that I exist, the fact that I am me, whatever that means, I didn't make me. Yeah, we can argue how my parents made me and whatnot, but who I am as a person beyond the body, we know the body's going to die, but who I am as a person, the fact that I am created, the fact that I am I and that I am here and that I exist and that there's something about me that's going to exist beyond the body, that's a huge miracle in and of itself. But the main miracle that I was thinking of was the Eucharist. How many of us stop and think that every day the Eucharist is happening? There is a priest somewhere right now in the world changing bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. And I think it's happening so often. I think it's a miracle that is really probably keeping us alive on this planet that is happening so often that it's easy to take for granted. I thought about this and I thought, geez, you know, it's one of these things that it's happening all the time. I never stop and think about it. And working in deliverance, people always ask questions like, gosh, how, how did the priest, the exorcist, how did he get rid of the demon? And what prayer did he say? And what did the demon do? And, you know, a lot of people focus on that stuff with deliverance and, and exorcisms and things like that. And people tend to forget that that's not even the biggest miracle. That's just a sacramental. That's just a prayer to make evil go away and, and leave us alone so that once we are left alone, we can continue and focus on what really matters. And that is getting closer to Jesus Christ, getting closer to God. How do we do that? we got to follow the sacraments and which is the source and summit of our faith. What's the miracle that's happening every day? I wonder how many times we stopped and asked the priest, hey, Father, how many times in your life have you converted? Have you, have you prayed over bread and wine and changed it into God? How many times have we stopped and asked that? Well, I'll tell you what, folks. We've got, I found this great article I want to put on uh, here, attach it to the show. It's called uh, the title of the article, Seven Amazing Eucharistic Miracles. I thought we'd go over a few of those just to remind us that every day the Eucharist is happening and every day a miracle can happen. And if I go to Mass with the eyes of faith, I too can have miracles working in my life if I remember. Now, these stories I think are great because that's really what they are for me. You know, miracles are just, I think, reminders that God is working in our lives. A lot of times we think, oh, wow, there's a miracle. And so God really did something for me. But it's just a reminder that God is working every day in our lives. Well, let's look at these. Let's look at some of these Eucharistic miracle stories. I think that they're very inspiring. And hopefully it'll help inspire me, if nothing else, to go to Mass more often with the eyes of faith, 
re really remembering that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. Let's look at these. So the first miracle listed here is the Eucharistic miracle at Montserrat, Spain. Okay, so let's see here. In 1657, at the monastery of Our Lady of Montserrat, the Holy Eucharist saved a soul. Listen to this one. Holy Eucharist saved a soul that had been lingering in purgatory. <clears throat> it was there that a young girl begged Abbot Don Milan to celebrate three masses in memory of her father because she believed the masses would free his soul from purgatory. So here we go. This is where, do we forget the power of the Eucharist? Do we forget? I mean, I think that if we start thinking about this, we'd want to go to mass all the time. This is a miracle happening all the time. The Eucharist itself is what, it's our source and summit of our faith because it is our source of life. So let's look at this. Moved to tears by the girl's faith and love. There's the key, the faith and the love. He celebrated the first mass the next day. During the consecration of the Eucharist, the girl saw her father kneeling among flames at the step of the altar. So again, let's look at that. What happened here? So first she asked this priest, hey, can you celebrate three masses in memory of my father? You know, and she would believe that her dad would be saved from purgatory. So she believed her dad was in purgatory. Moved by this girl's faith and love. This is what moves mountains, right? The priest could have said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Or, you know what? Go to the rectory and put in your donation. I'll do the masses, you know, uh, but make sure that there's a donation there. But he was moved by her faith and love. Faith moves mountains. He celebrated the first mass the next day. And during the consecration of the Eucharist, how many times do we look around at the consecration and wait for a miracle or look for a miracle during that time? You know, or how many times are we distracted? It's easy to be distracted. But what happened to this girl? She saw her father kneeling among flames at the steps of the altar. When asked to put a tissue near the flames that only she could see, the tissue began to burn. This is where with the eyes of faith, sometimes we see things and we wonder, is it real it's from another dimension? We forget that heaven is happening right now. She put a tissue near the flames that only she could see, and the tissue began to burn. This is, this is as the story goes. At the second mass, so remember she asked for three masses, the second mass, she saw her dad dressed in a colorful suit standing next to the deacon, no longer in flames. Now it's a colorful suit standing next to the deacon. And at the third mass, she saw him wearing a bright white suit. At the end of the mass, she cried, there is my father going away and rising into the sky. As she said her father had asked her to do, she thanked the monks at the monastery for freeing her dad from his suffering in purgatory. You know, the, this is a great story. I mean, <clears throat> the faith of the mass, we forget that the mass can heal all. There is nothing greater than the mass. In deliverance, all the time, people come and say, I need an exorcism, I need an exorcism. You know why they say most people say that? Because they've seen a lot of Hollywood, and they think that the exorcism is the only thing that's going to free them from anything. But we forget that actually much more powerful than that is going to confession and the Eucharist. That's the bottom line. That's, that's the source and some of our faith. What a beautiful story. You know, the other thing that this story reminds me of, when we are there to receive the Eucharist, do we remember that the Eucharist ties us into the communion of saints? Do we just want to receive it for ourselves? Or do we remember there is a communion of saints? Do I pray for a loved one? Is there somebody who passed away recently who might need my prayers? Do I offer up my communion for anybody so that they may receive the graces at the same time? We forget that we're all interconnected. We forget that God purifies us and we forget that we can help each other out. Thinking about that, you know, I'm praying for the souls in purgatory as well. If I receive my Eucharist for the souls in purgatory, I'm sure they'll help me out when it comes time for me to ask for a favor. 
We're going to talk more about Eucharistic Miracles after the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today, folks, we are talking about miracles and we're talking about everyday miracles in the Eucharist. we got to remember, this is the biggest miracle that's happening all the time. There's no bigger miracle than our Lord, our God, putting himself into bread and wine and actually not even putting himself into bread and wine. The bread and wine gets transformed. Yes, we can see it as still as bread and wine. It looks like bread and wine. But the substance itself is no longer bread and wine. It is our Lord. And that's truly what we believe as, as Catholics. That's what's happening on that altar, on that altar of sacrifice. Do we believe that that miracle is there for us? And do we believe that that miracle is there to help our lives in a very direct and real way? Well, I'm reading this article, a great article on miracles of the Eucharist. We talked about how it saved a soul from purgatory. Let's look at what happened in Colombia. Eucharistic miracle at the island of Tumaco in Colombia. Now, this is what the article says. While the power of Jesus in the Eucharist saved a soul in Spain, which we just talked about, it later saved many lives in the small island of Tumaco. January 1906. Okay, not that long ago. Well, over 100 years ago, but 1906, the Ecuador-Colombia earthquake caused tsunamis to form and cause tragic destruction. Columbia earthquake, so big earthquake, right? Tsunamis, tragic destruction, including the loss of at least 500 lives along the coast of Colombia. But when the water was rising, coming further inland, and was poised to destroy the island and its inhabitants, the residents ran to the church and begged Father Gerardo Lorando, the pastor, to lead a procession with the Eucharist. How many times do we see this? I mean, it's very, I think it was very common in smaller towns. You know, the priest would have a monstrance and he would lead a procession with the Eucharist on different feast days, on different feasts of different saints days. And you're walking around with that Eucharist around the town. Well, in this case, this town's about to be destroyed, right? The water's rising. It's going to destroy the island and its inhabitants. So they beg the priest, hey, Father, we need a procession with the Eucharist. That's faith right there. Look, we've got nothing left, right? This is where Jesus says, sell everything you've got. Why are you relying on worldly goods? Get rid of everything and follow me. Well, at this point, these people are saying, we're going to lose our lives. We're going to lose our island. Let's get the Eucharist. There's nothing left for us. When there's nothing left, go to Christ. Well, let's see what happens. With enormous faith and courage, the priests consumed the small hosts and picked up the monstrance containing the Eucharist. After asking God to have pity on them, he led the people to shore. They wept and cried out to God. So this is the moment. This is this is the, the real moment, right? At our moment of death, what do we turn to? When we think that there's nothing left, when we think that, gosh, my, what's going on in my, in my family? What's going on in our lives? What's going on as far as you know, are my kids doing well? Are they not? Are they still following the faith? Have they fallen away? My aunt, my uncle, what's going on with them? And all of a sudden they turn, do we turn to the Eucharist? Do we say, hey, this is this is what we need right now. I need to stop everything and say, I'm just going to dedicate myself to being in front of the Eucharist. Well, that's what these people are doing. They're saying our island's going to be gone. Father, please bless us with the Eucharist is what they're saying. They're not even asking Notice they didn't even ask to consume the Eucharist. They said, can you lead a procession with the Eucharist? Can you just expose the Eucharist? Let's see what happened here. Faced with the mighty wave rushing toward them, the priest calmly raised the blessed sacrament and traced the sign of the cross. This is it. 
Here comes the wave. Trace the sign of the cross. The tsunami immediately hesitated and receded. The people were overjoyed when the sea returned to its normal level, and they excitedly praised and thanked God for the Eucharistic miracle that saved them and their island. Now, a lot of people might say, you know, Dr. Sandoval, you're a man of science. How can you not see that this is probably something happened, the current changed, the wind changed? You know, you're saying that because of this Eucharist, but, you know, there's this whole scientific proof as to why this would have happened. Well, sure, there's a scientific proof as to why this would have happened, but who's to say that God wasn't behind that? Who's in charge of science? That's really what we want to ask ourselves. Have we not heard of a miracle like this before? Do we not look at the Gospels and say, hey, this happened before? Remember, I believe there was a big boat. There was a big storm, and the apostles woke up Jesus and said, Jesus, what's going on? Look at this storm. And he said, what's wrong with you? Don't you have faith? And Jesus raised his arms, and the storm was silent. If he did it in the, in the in the gospel, why wouldn't he do it here? Why wouldn't he do it here? It's the same thing, right? What's the difference? It's the same miracle. We know Jesus did it before. Jesus can do it again. I guess the real question is, is there a storm in our life where we feel that we're overwhelmed? This happens a lot, especially in mental health. You know, people come to me and say, I don't know what's going on. I can't think clearly, or I'm not feeling good, or I'm feeling really anxious, or I'm feeling really depressed. I need God to calm me down. I need something. Medication is great. Don't get me wrong. It works. You know, I see it work. I, I prescribe it as needed. Not all the time, but when people need it, they, they take their medication and we see it work. The question is, do we put our faith in it? Do we really believe that the Eucharist is medication as well. You know, when you go to the doctor, you put faith in that medication. We say, gosh, this is what the doctor prescribed me. I believe it'll work. I'm putting some faith in this medication. Jesus is saying, I'm here all the time. I'm here at Mass. I'm here in the Eucharist. I am all you need. Do I have enough faith to believe that this is all I need and this is going to heal me? That's the question of the day. That's where real healing takes place. Well, let's look at another story. There's a few stories here. I love these stories because it's reminding me that, gosh, there is a power in the Eucharist. There is something that I need to remember all the time, that this is an everyday miracle that's happening. Am I excited when I go to Mass? Well, let's see what happened in Austria. Eucharistic miracle in Austria. Whiten Raxendorf is the name of the city. Let's see here. This story says, The Blessed Sacrament has also been known to thwart evil intentions. I like this. Evil intentions. Let's look at why. That's what happened in 1411. Granted, this was a while ago, but, you know, everything's happening before God at the same time. 1411 to God is the same as 2022. When a thief stole the consecrated host from the church in the village. So 1411, a thief steals the consecrated host from the church in the village of Whiten. He hid the host in his glove and took off on his horse. So thief comes in, steals a host. Why would he steal the host? Eh, a bunch of different reasons. I don't know why this thief did it in particular, but let's see what happened. It says, but when he reached a certain spot on the valley road, his horse inexplicably, inexplicably stopped and wouldn't go any further. Horse just stops. Doesn't move. He's riding along. He's in charge, right? He's in charge of the horse. Why wouldn't you be? This is your horse. You're riding it. A good horse is going to go anywhere you take it to doesn't even matter even if you're going to make him jump off a cliff a good horse will die with you and this horse all of a sudden just stops won't go any further the man tried beating the horse to make it move and not knowing he was a thief bystanders 
also tried to get the horse to move. So now we got this horse here not moving. He's saying, what are you doing? You got to move. The horse is not moving. Even if other people are trying to get the horse to move there, horse is not moving. Then without prodding, the horse galloped away with the thief. The horse's sudden movement caused the host to fall unnoticed from the man's glove. Well, the plot thickens. Let's see now. The host fell out of the man's glove. Days later, a Christian woman from another village spotted the host encircled in a bright light. Christ makes himself known. That's what's happening here. Christ is going to make himself known. Do I believe that when I go to Mass? Am I looking for a bright light around the Eucharist? Am I really seeing that that is Christ and nothing else matters? Well, let's see what happens here. Amazed, she picked up the Holy Eucharist, which had broken in two, but was joined together by bleeding threads of flesh. Let's go back to that. She picked up the Holy Eucharist. It had broken into two pieces, but it was still joined together by bleeding threads of flesh. To give thanks to God, she built a chapel on the spot where it was found. Okay, so she's giving thanks to God and she's saying, let's build this chapel right here. A larger church had to be built later to accommodate the crowds who made pilgrimages there. What you know, the story has so many layers to it. I love it in many different ways, because when we look at this, we see that God is working in many different ways, too. He's working in, in many different layers. And there's so many different characters in this story. There's a thief who stole the host. We don't know why. But this shows me that God's not going to let us get away with evil. That's the first thing. You know, we think that we can get away with it. We think that we can do things that are not uh, holy or that we are against God. Or we say, you know what? It's okay this time. It's okay if I sin a little bit. Well, it's not really a sin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to justify it. And I'm going to try to get away with certain things. It's kind of like stealing the host, if you will. You know, yeah, it's a piece of bread. I'm going to steal this host. Try to get away with it. Who's going to know? But the horse stopped. God is still in charge of nature, just like we saw in the other in the other uh, story. In this case, the horse stopped. The horse was not going to listen to this thief, right? The horse was listening to a higher power. And all of a sudden, the Eucharist falls, and we worry about that sometimes. We say, there's so many times that the Eucharist is desecrated, and we forget that Jesus knows what's happening. You know when the Eucharist was desecrated? The first time the Eucharist was desecrated? The very first time the Eucharist was desecrated was on the cross because we hung our Lord on our cross. We crucified our Lord. That was the desecration of the Eucharist. Why? But it's bread and wine. No, this is we got. This is how we got to think about the Eucharist. The same way that Christ is hanging on the cross, Christ is right there in the bread and wine, and He was desecrated on that on that cross. How are we receiving Him? This is the important part in this case. You know, the intention to the you know God changes the intention. The intention of this thief was to steal the host. Who knows what he was going to do with it. The horse doesn't allow him to do it, runs away. The horse falls on the ground. Now we're thinking the host is desecrated. Well, God's not going to be undone. He's not going to be outdone. All of a sudden, this lady finds him. God is always going to lead us with his light. The Eucharist, there is a bright light. She finds him. She sees that it is broken, but there are threads of flesh. It truly is the body and blood of Christ. How many times do we think about that? Now, granted, God knows what he's doing. He knows that we're not going to go and eat what looks like raw meat. It's bread and wine to our eyes, but it's truly him. And this is the important part to remember. When I'm thinking about this, well, even when Christ is broken, the bleeding threads of flesh, the key word there, a lot of people will focus on the flesh part. I would dare say the bleeding part is the important part. Why bleeding? Because it's very much alive. Because it's happening. If it were, if it were just old flesh, it'd be rotting. It wouldn't have anything. But remember, this is days later. 
how long does it take for somebody to bleed out? If somebody were to die, it's only going to 24 hours and, and you're pretty much done, right? There's nothing going to happen. This is days later and this is still bleeding. It's very much an alive Christ. What does Christ want us to do? He wants us to recognize him. Do we see that in the Eucharist? That's pretty impressive. No, that's pretty impressive. Let's look at another Eucharistic miracle. Miracle of Bordeaux, France. Elsewhere in Europe, a different kind of Eucharistic miracle occurred in the church of St. Eulalia in Rue Marines, Bordeaux. It happened in 1822, 20 months after the formation of the Holy Family of Bordeaux community that worshipped in the church. Right after the priest gave the benediction with the Blessed Sacrament, here we go, Jesus appeared to him and several people in the Blessed Sacrament. Let's see what he says. The priest wrote, I saw our Savior, head, chest, and arms in the middle of the circle that served him as a frame like a painting, but with this difference, that the painting looked alive. His figure was a young man about 30 years old, extraordinarily beautiful. He was dressed in a dark red scarf draped over his shoulder and chest. This is pretty impressive. You know, we're coming up on the break here, but I want to see here because the story goes on to talk about the other people who saw him. This is, this is where the true, true miracle. Do we see Christ in the Eucharist or not? We'll talk more about this after the break. All right, folks. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. As always, we are here talking about our faith, our spiritual faith, our physical faith, our mental health faith. It's always important to consider all the different aspects of our lives, the way God made us, to truly understand how God works in our lives. Today, we're talking about everyday miracles, but really, more than anything else, the everyday miracle of the Eucharist and how we are going to be prepared to receive Christ in the Eucharist, when we can actually see him. Before the break, we were talking about the miracle in France. And this is what happened. Let's do a little recap. There was a priest uh, in a church who was giving the benediction with the Blessed Sacrament. Jesus appears to him and several people in the Blessed Sacrament. How many times do we truly sit at Mass, kneel at Mass, look at the consecration, and believe that Jesus is appearing right there? You know, it's hard to do. Because it's easy, for whatever reason, that's probably the easiest moment to be distracted. How many times can we actually say, yes, I was fully focused during the consecration and realized the priest is actually changing. You know, there's a transubstantiation, the substance of the bread and the wine are changing. We don't always think about that, but stories like this really help remind me that I better be ready because that's Jesus right there. And he's telling me what to do. This is what it says. Let's recap one more time. This is what the priest wrote. He said, I saw our Savior head, chest, and arms in the middle of the circle that served him as a frame like a painting, but with this difference, that the painting looked alive. His figure was a young man about 30 years old, extraordinarily beautiful. He was dressed with a dark red scarf draped over his shoulder and chest. For more than 20 minutes, the people who had gathered for adoration watched Jesus smile at them and give them a blessing by raising his right hand. One person reportedly heard Jesus say, I am he who is. The miracle is so well known that people still go to the chapel to venerate the holy relic of the monstrance of the apparition. Do we ever really think about that? You know, it's easy to get caught up in the burdens of everyday life. And actually, a lot of people 
a lot of times I've been there. A lot of times we feel abandoned by God. A lot of times we say, you know, I don't feel like God is working in my life. I feel that God's forgotten about me. I feel really alone. I feel like, you know, I'm moving by myself. It's a lonely place. Kind of reminds me of that frame if anybody's ever uh, seen that beautiful, beautiful uh, prayer on footprints. Uh, you know, where there's a two sets of footprints in the sand and it lo somebody's looking at their lives and then they see that at one point there's only one set of footprints and they think, gosh, those are the hardest times in my life. Why is it that Jesus, why did you abandon me during those times? That's when Jesus said, no, I was carrying you. The footprints that you see are mine. A lot of times we forget that. A lot of times we forget that. God is always there. We're the ones who turn one way or another. We're the ones who don't always see him. But this is a beautiful miracle in that fact, you know, that the, what what really captures my attention here, next time I go to church, I got to think, you know, this is for more than 20 minutes, the story says. People who gathered for adoration watched Jesus smile at them, give them a blessing by raising his one hand and Jesus, his right hand, excuse me. And one person heard him say, I am he who is. The beautiful part of this is sometimes, a lot of times we think, gosh, I'm not ready to, to really see God or see Jesus because He's just going to look at my sins and he's going to tell me to go away. Not one of these miracles does Jesus ever say to hell with all of you, or you're just going to go to hell or you don't belong here. No, Jesus is smiling at the people and blessing them. It's always about smiling and blessing at us. How many times do we think about that? I love that because a lot of times we're scared and we feel like, I don't know. God's going to reject me. I, I'm just scared. It reminds me of St. Peter. You know, this, this really reminds me of when, when Jesus, you know, did the miracle for him where he told him to get the fish and to put the net on the other side of the boat. And he had told him, but Lord, we've been out all night. And he says, just go do it. And St. Peter does that with his apostles. And all of a sudden they have this huge catch of fish and more than their nets could even muster. And then what happened there? Remember, they're with Jesus. We have to believe that the Eucharist is Jesus, just the same way Jesus was talking to St. Peter. So I got to think, hey, when I go receive the Eucharist, that's Jesus right there, the same way he's talking to St. Peter. It's Jesus standing next to me. Do I believe that Jesus is smiling and raising his right hand at me and talking with me and letting me know what's going on? You know, what did he say to St. Peter? What did, excuse me, back up. What did St. Peter say to him? When St. Peter saw that miracle, he said, get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And what did Jesus say to that? You know, that's, I think, how we're going to approach Christ, or at least how I can picture, you know, I go receive the Eucharist, I see Christ, and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to see myself, and I'm going to say, I'm a sinful person. I can't possibly be with Christ. What do I think Christ is going to say at that moment? Christ didn't tell St. Peter to go away. He said, leave everything and follow me. He didn't even mention his, his sins. He didn't say, yes, you are a sinful man. He didn't even acknowledge that part. You know, by St. Peter right there saying, I am a sinful man, Everything was washed away. Jesus could see in his heart, and Jesus could bless him and say, hey, come follow me. Didn't even mention his sins. Didn't even touch on that. But St. Peter knew. He knew what was going on. I think that's the same thing with us. We know what's going on in our hearts. We see it before Christ. And it also didn't get scary. But the biggest part of this miracle for me is that as Jesus is appearing, well, one, of course, obviously, that he appears. That's a huge miracle. That's the part we're wanting to see. But I think changing my heart to realize Jesus is smiling at me. Jesus is smiling at me and raising his hand and blessing me. He wants what's best for me. Do I want what's best for myself? You know, that's a question we got to ask ourselves. Okay, the Eucharistic miracle in Peru is the next story. There's only a couple more stories and that's it. Let's see here. Eucharistic miracle in Peru. 
1649, two other beautiful apparitions of Jesus appeared to crowds of faithful parishioners and to Jerome de Silva Marinque, a Franciscan monk. During the Vespers and the solemn exposition in honor of the Feast of Corpus Christi, an apparition of the child Jesus appeared in the Blessed Sacrament. So the Feast of Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, apparition of the child Jesus appears in the Blessed Sacrament. The second apparition appeared not long after the first one. The miracle happened during a celebration to honor St. Mary of Madeline, uh, let me see here, St. Mary of Madeline, not Magdalene, but Madeline, patroness of the city of Eden. And it also happened during the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. Brother Marco Lopez, superior of the convent, uh, testified, the divine child Jesus again appeared in the host dressed in a purple tunic. Beneath it, he wore a shirt up to the middle of the chest, according to the custom of the South American Indians. In the second apparition, it's believed that Jesus dressed as he did to show his love for the Mohican people of the city. In the same apparition, many people also saw three small united white hearts, which represented the Holy Trinity pleasant, present in the Blessed Sacrament. You know what I like about this miracle? Jesus appears as a child, innocent, approachable, he is a child and he's dressed in the local in the local garb, in the local outfit, in the local costume, if you will. Why is that important? Because Jesus knows us. He's not appearing, he's he's actually coming to us. That's the biggest difference. You know, if you go somewhere, you go to a country, normally you're gonna dress in your own outfit and you're gonna uh, show up and you're gonna say, Hey, these are my customs, my traditions. What's beautiful about this is Jesus appears as a child, innocent, approachable, unassuming. And he's dressed in the local uh, garb of the South American Indians. Why is that important? Because he's saying, I am one of you. I am coming to you. I'm coming dressed as you. I'm coming to you as something that you will recognize to make you realize that I am part of you. I think that that's the biggest thing, no matter where I am in the world or what culture I'm in. I think Jesus is going to appear to me as a known entity. It's not going to be scary in the sense that he's going to be some scary stranger. It's going to be somebody I know. But then at the same time, I have to ask myself, am I ready to receive him in my heart? That's a beautiful miracle. Christ comes to us as an innocent, vulnerable child. Think about it. Christ comes to us as bread and wine. He allows us to do, at that point, whatever. He knew probably when he made the Eucharist that it'd be desecrated. But he's saying, I love you so much that I'm willing to risk that to make sure that everybody else can receive me and I will be right there for you. You know, this is important to consider. How does Christ come in our lives? These miracles that happen, are they so far away? Or is it truly happening on that altar every day? Let's look at the Eucharistic miracle in Venezuela. This is the last one we'll go over because then I want to talk about the miracles of confession. We have to be ready to receive the Eucharist. These are everyday miracles, two very important sacraments in our lives. Do we really appreciate them as miracles that are happening here on earth. It says not all Eucharistic miracles happened hundreds of years ago. At the Marian Shrine in Venezuela, in Cua, Venezuela, one happened in 1991. I like this story because it brings it home. 1991, not that long ago. And a related Eucharistic miracle happened in 1998, even sooner. The first one took place during the Midnight Mass. So let's look at this. After having consumed one of the pieces of the large host, which I have divided into four parts, I return them to the patent. This is what Father Odie, who was a chaplain of the shrine, said. So he had consumed one of the pieces of the large host, divided into four parts, and returned them to the patent, the remaining three parts, 
A little later, I looked down towards the patent and I could not believe what I saw. One of the pieces of the host that I divided was showing a red spot and from it, a red substance began to emanate, similar to the manner in which blood escapes from a wound. After mass, I took the host and preserved it safely in the sacristy of the shrine. The next day at six in the morning, I went to see the host and verified that some blood continued to flow that a little later began to dry. The blood's continuing to flow. This is the next day. So remember, this was at midnight mass. Six hours later, the blood was continuing to flow. The blood was discovered to be AB positive, the same type found in the cloth of the Shroud of Turin. This is important, folks. AB positive blood, the same type that was found in the Shroud of Turin. And it says later in 1998, when a young man went on a prayer group pilgrimage to Batania to see the bleeding host, he witnessed another miracle. After mass for about 30 seconds, he saw a pulsating heart beating inside the host and it looked as if in flames. He captured part of the miracle on video. Now they don't put a link to the video. I'd love to see that video, but really this is what this miracle is telling me. This is a live host. Jesus is alive in the host. That's, that's what we got to remember. And that's truly the miracle. I got to remember that Jesus is right there that he's not changing, he's not leaving, and he's truly alive. Do I see that miracle in my heart? You know what I love about this too as a medical doctor? The blood is AB positive, same as the type of blood found in the cloth of the Shroud of Turin. Why is that important? What is AB positive? Now, you would think that, oh, that means it's the universal donor. God gives his blood to everybody. Nope, AB positive is a universal acceptor. I accept all blood, I accept everybody. That's really what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's nobody here who I won't accept. More after the break. All right, folks, we are back here at the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. You are listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today, we are talking about everyday miracles. And why is this important to talk about? Because, folks, a lot of times we wait for miracles to happen and we forget that I can actually go to a miracle every day in the Eucharist as it's happening. When was the last time we asked the priest, how many times have you transubstantiated the bread and the wine into our God? That's really the miracle that's happening all the time. And I don't think that I appreciate it enough. I don't appreciate it enough because I don't always see it with the eyes of faith. In fact, I think I take it for granted a lot of times. You know when I knew I took it for granted? I was sitting there one time. And something happened. I don't know if it happened to you guys, but all of a sudden we were all in quarantine. It was this COVID quarantine. And next thing I know, the churches around me were shutting down and there was no Eucharist to be had. That was one of the scariest moments of my life. I had never thought about it. I think at that moment is when I realized, wow, I take the Eucharist for granted. I just assume that it's going to be there. And all of a sudden it was gone. And I, I felt a little lost. I got to be honest with you. I felt like, like a child without a, a parent. You know, I felt like uh, I didn't know what was going to happen at that point. What do you mean there's no Eucharist? I, I didn't realize how much subconsciously I truly rely on the Eucharist every day, um, every Sunday, every day if possible, to really give us that fortitude, truly rely on Jesus. And what we should really be saying is, I, you know, I say, oh, I rely on the Eucharist. What I should really be saying is I, I didn't understand how much I rely on Jesus. Because it's easy for us to say, gosh, the Eucharist, communion, I went to communion. <clears throat> but how many of us speak in just bold language and say, yeah, I went to go receive Jesus? 
I went to go consume Jesus. I went to go be in communion with Jesus. I received communion. I went to go receive the body and blood of Christ of Jesus. I need to go receive Jesus right now. You know, we don't always say that's Jesus. We don't always think of it that way. I think we need to start thinking about it a little bit more that way because it's a little bit harder to picture that, to imagine that when we keep saying, oh, I'm going to go to the Eucharist. I'm going to go to communion in the Eucharist. I think we still see it as bread and wine when the truth is, no, that's Jesus. The same way Jesus was speaking in the Gospels, that's Jesus right now speaking to us. Now, I think one of the things that we need to consider, we talked about some beautiful miracles that come from the Eucharist, miracles that a lot of people might not know about. But we got to remember we got to be ready to receive the Eucharist. And in order to do that, we have to go to a good confession. We have to do an examination of conscience. And we have to remember that the miracle is not just happening at the Eucharist. You would think, gosh, there's what, else, what other miracle could there be? Miracles are going to be happening at every sacrament that we do. So the miracle is happening in our marriage. we got to remember that when we pray for each other in our marriage, if we're married, we are a sacrament. If I pray for my spouse, Jesus is right there. Remember Jesus said, whenever two or more are gathered in my name, I am present. Every sacrament is a miracle. We don't think of it that way. I like to focus on the Eucharist because that's available to everybody. We can all go very individually to that. Marriage is such that I have to remember that my interaction with my spouse is a miracle. And Jesus is present right there when that miracle is happening. But am I ready to receive these miracles? Am I ready to receive these uh, the Eucharist? Am I ready to receive my wife in marriage? Am I ready to do all this? The first thing I got to do is get to confession, folks. And guess what? Miracles happen in confession, too. This is where we receive God's greatest mercy. I'm going to read a little excerpt here, a couple of excerpts from the diary of St. Faustina. If anybody hasn't followed the divine mercy or St. Faustina, let me tell you, this is where we truly come to understand who Jesus is, who God is, and what he wants for us. He's looking at these miracles before us, but he wants us to prepare our hearts. This is what Jesus says to St. Faustina on divine mercy. He says, write, speak of my divine mercy. Tell, soul, tell souls where they are to look for solace, that is, in the tribunal of mercy, the sacrament of reconciliation. There the greatest miracles take place and are incessantly repeated. To avail oneself of this miracle is not necessarily to go on a great pilgrimage or to carry out some external ceremony. It suffices to come with faith to the feet of my representative, meaning the priest, and to reveal to him one's misery and the miracle of divine mercy will be fully demonstrated. Were souls like a decaying corpse, so that from a human standpoint, there would be no hope of restoration and everything would already be lost, it is not so with God. The miracle of divine mercy restores that soul in full. How many times do we feel that way? You know, a lot of times we feel sick, we don't feel good. We think I need to go read a self-help book. I need to go, uh, you know, find out more about myself. I need to hear what this guru has to say. A lot of people will turn and say, I need to fear, see what these crystals are going to do for me. There's power in them. We start to lose ourselves and we start to forget that every time we sin, we start to deteriorate. Our soul starts to deteriorate. I love this image. It's not a beautiful image, but I like the image because it really brings it to life. Jesus says, were souls, in other words, if souls are like a decaying corpse, so that from a human standpoint, there would be no hope of restoration. A decaying corpse, it means it's dead, dead. It means that it's not like, oh, this person just died. It's already decaying, meaning that there is no life. There is only death, a decaying corpse. All of a sudden, we go to confession. We go to God's, the miracle of divine mercy, as Jesus calls it, and it restores that soul in full.
So imagine a decaying corpse. You got skeleton, maybe dead flesh, maybe who knows what's going on there. Flies, maggots. I mean, it's just not a pretty picture. This is, it's already dead. You're saying there's no hope that we got to bury it. And Jesus comes over and says, hang on a second. Let me bring it back to life in full, like completely. And you're like, you got to be kidding me. This thing smells. And he's like, no, no, no. You don't see what I see. Tell me about your misery. That's probably why we feel bad a lot of the times. We don't realize that we need that miracle of bringing our soul back to life. If there is even an ounce of death in it, we need to get to that place of miracle. That's the important part. I mean, let's look at this. So Jesus goes on to tell her this, and I love the saying. This is what he says. Daughter, when you go to confession, and this is Jesus talking to St. Faustina about his divine mercy. Daughter, when you go to confession to this fountain of my mercy, the blood and water which came forth from my heart always flows down upon your soul. Here's the, here's the kicker here. And ennobles it. Do we know what it means to ennoble? I will looked it up just to make sure. And I thought it was what it was. But ennoble, it means to lend greater dignity or nobility of character to something. Jesus takes our soul and he gives it nobility. He brings us back to royalty. That's what he's saying. So let's read that again. He says, when you go to confession to this fountain of my mercy, the blood and water which came forth from my heart. And remember, the Eucharist really is the heart of Christ. That's what we're receiving, his flesh and blood. But it's every Eucharistic miracle. I read a few of them. But if you go back and look at any of the other ones or the big ones, I read some small ones that I thought were important because sometimes we feel small and we feel like mm, it's, it's going to happen for other people. But we've got to remember that Eucharist has actually been shown to be the heart of Christ. It always comes back whenever there's studies in there. No, this is flesh from a heart, from a living, breathing heart. He says, the blood and water which came forth from my heart always flows down upon your soul and ennobles it, makes it noble again, renews it through the blood of Christ. Every time you go to confession, immerse yourself entirely in my mercy and with great trust so that I may pour the bounty of my grace upon your soul. When you approach the confessional, know this, that I myself am waiting there for you. I am only hidden by the priest, but I myself act in your soul. Here, the misery of the soul meets the God of mercy. Tell souls that from this fount of mercy, souls draw graces solely with a vessel of trust. If their trust is great, there is no limit to my generosity. The torrents of grace inundate humble souls. If your trust is great, that's where the element of faith comes in. If your trust is great, there is no limit to my generosity. How many times do we ask? Actually, that's a great point. How many times do we limit God? You know, let me share a story about a miracle from a confession. I was treating a patient. Some of you might have heard the story before, but it always impacts me every time. I was treating a patient one time, and he was deep into sin, he was deep into sin, so deep into sin, and his sin was the sin of pornography. He was addicted to pornography, and he was so deep into pornography, really bad things that he was looking at on his computer, that he was telling me that he was hearing demonic voices, and he was getting images and ideas that he might want to hurt his children, right? And to do some really bad, vile things to his children. Now, he told his wife about this. His children were safe. That was not going to be an issue. His wife knew about this. But the fact that this was occurring inside of his heart, inside of his mind, this was a big deal. This was very, very disturbing to him. He didn't exactly know what to do with this. 
He came to me because he said, Doc, I'm hearing voices. I think they're demonic. I've never had that before. I have a lot of anxiety. When he came to me first, I was just treating him for anxiety and it was fine. But these voices started to develop and he was not doing well. He was not doing good. And he started telling me, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you've talked to your wife about it. What does she tell you? And he says, she tells me I got to go talk to a priest. And I said, okay, well, have you done that? He said, no, I haven't done that. I think that I think that if you just give me medication, I'll feel better. And I told him, I can give you medication. I can help treat your anxiety. I can help treat your voices. But, you know, let's see what happens. So I'm treating them and it's not really working. It's not, I mean, it's helping him a little bit, but it's not working. These, these vile voices are there. He's just hearing terrible things. He's now hearing about his sins. They're telling him what he did. He's not able to separate himself from this addiction to pornography. He really doesn't know what to do at this point. He's, he's lost beyond lost. He just says, you know, there's, there's really no hope for me at this point. And I said, what does your wife tell you? He says, she keeps telling me to go talk to a priest. Are your children safe? Yes, my children are safe. That's not a problem. My wife, they, they went over to, to their to their mother's house or to their grandmother's house, my wife's mother. They're safe over there. I'm, I don't have access over there. She's taking care of them. I just don't know what to do. I'm pretty desperate here. And I said, I agree with your wife. I think you need to go talk to a priest. He said, okay, you know, I'll see what I can do. Well, I hadn't seen him in a while. A few months had gone by. I hadn't seen him. I didn't know what was going on for him. I was praying that he was okay. I was hoping he was okay, but I had not heard back from him. All of a sudden, one day he comes back a few months later, and I thought, well, boy, I hope he's doing okay. I don't know what's going on with him. Well, he comes back, and he tells me, and I say, okay, well, how are you doing? How's the medication working for you? He's all, the medication's great. And I thought, oh, wow, okay, so the medication did help. Maybe this was just purely psychiatric. Maybe there wasn't something spiritual going on. And he said, I'm not taking any medication for voices anymore. And I said, really? What are you taking? He said, well, I'm taking the medication for anxiety. I still have a little bit of anxiety, but not like before. And I said, well, what happened? What happened? You're not hearing voices anymore. You're not. And he said, nope, I'm not hearing voices. I'm not addicted to pornography. I don't feel like hurting anybody. My children are back home safe. My heart is, is light. I don't have any of these evil things going on or, uh, inside of me anymore. And I said, what happened? He said, I finally went to go talk to a priest. And when I went to talk to him. I told him everything that was happening. I gave him my confession. I told him how I was addicted to pornography, how I couldn't you know, get away from it. I told him about all these voices and what was going on. And he said, and I said, well, what happened there? He said, well, when I gave him my confession, no sooner had the priest blessed me with absolution as he was giving me that absolution where he said, I forgive you of your sins. He said that all the voices went away. Everything went away. Any addiction, any desire to go see anything bad went away. Any evil thoughts towards anybody went away. It went away just like that. In an instant, it went away. So now I still have some anxiety, but that's just, you know, normal anxiety that people experience sometimes and the medication is really helping. But everything else went away. Folks, when I heard that story, I was like, this is what we got to remember. Something is happening in the sacraments. Something is happening when we go to confession, when we go receive communion. There is a miracle at our fingertips that we can go to every time. There is a miracle in the sacraments. There is a miracle of Christ right there before us. I hope we take advantage of it. And until next week, I say, look for miracles and keep it Catholic.